folks, and welcome to another episode of Variable Depostulate Ensemble Projects. This is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drawsdorf, and as always, I'll be acting as your host. Last week, as a result of tech issues embedded in all the crazy upside down that we seem to be living in right now, my show got uploaded so late as to effectively have a Saturday released, uh, release date uh, as opposed to my usual Thursday. Well, in an effort to balance the exposure a bit, this show will be uploaded such that it's on Friday. Next week, I expect to be back on track with Thursdays. If you're new to this pod, this initially started out as a program to support the work of skilled musicians who are not necessarily from L.A. or New York City. While that is part of the model still, an additional function sort of developed as a result of all the conversations I've been having this year. These are also, for all practical purposes, career day seminars for aspiring professional musicians. I have open, frank, and sometimes blunt conversations with seasoned pros from all parts of America and all walks of musical life. As of today, there are 22 shows. If you're studying to be a professional musician, you owe it yourself to go back and listen to every show, hit the archives, and take notes. Let this function as a course in adaptation and survival in music. This can also be a very interesting way to pass time while you're in quarantine. So if you're not already a subscriber, please hit subscribe and subscribe to this show. Then tell all your friends about it. Let's spread this around a little bit. As always, I want to give a shout out to the two companies that I endorse. I play Wedge Brass Mouthpieces from Bass Trumpet to Piccolo. They're designed by Dave Harrison up in Gabriola Island in British Columbia, Canada. If you are a brass wind player, you owe it to yourself to try one of these things. So for more information, just go to www.wedgemouthpiece.com. I also play Getz and Trumpets, again from Bass Trumpet to Piccolo. These are excellent horns with the best valves in the business. They're guaranteed for life. They're also made right in the USA, right in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. These pro instruments are very favorably priced. You get great bang for your bucks out of this. To find out more, just go to www.getzen.com or contact your local music store. This week, my guest is musician, educator, band leader, entrepreneur, businesswoman, Amy Yasser. I first got to know Amy when she first turned up at New Trier High School in suburban Winnetka, Illinois, north of Chicago. She then started turning up on big band gigs that I was working on, particularly with the shout section big band. I've been absolutely dazzled by the progress that she's made as a band leader and businesswoman uh, during an epic when leading jobbing bands seemed like a dying craft. Our conversation is a treasure trove of experience and, and a model for how one's business can evolve. Many great ideas came out. And you have to kind of listen between the lines because there's ideas that are, not, that are beneath the veneer of our conversation too. So great stuff. Before we get to the interview, let's listen to Amy sing. Here he is. It's hip to be square. The old Huey Lewis tune uh, set for a female vocal and a big band. So this is Amy Assinger singing with a shout sex and big band. It's hip to be square. square 
figure out You see it every day And those that were the furthest out Have gone the other way online via Zoom, uh, which seems to be kind of the way to go, uh, with uh, singer, band leader, uh, musical entrepreneur, educator, uh, Amy Yassinger. Amy, how are you doing today? I'm great, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, I've t- have adopted full hermit mode. <laughs> I'm up in uh, Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, and just kind of digging in here until uh, the madness stops. I totally get that. Totally get that. All right. So it's crazy, crazy time. Definitely crazy time. Uh, Amy, uh, I'm just going to ask you, I want to kind of get the folks uh, who listen to this uh, podcast to get to know you a little better. So I'm going to just kind of ask some general questions. Uh, What made you decide to make music your life's work? How do you know that this is something you wanted to do uh, uh, with your life's efforts? Music was always an escape for me. Um, I grew up in a very, I grew up in a very privileged area where, um, you know, I was around a lot of kids who, you know, I did sports, I did cheerleading, I did dance, I did all those activities. And I always felt that, uh, music is what truly made me happy. Um, and it just kind of always made me happy. So that's just kind of what I uh, escaped to. When did you decide to do it professionally? How did your career as a professional singer start? Well, when I was a junior in high school, I had, um, we had just wrapped up the production of Fiddler on the Roof and I had the lead, I was Hoddle. And I really, really wanted to be on Broadway. And my voice teacher at the time said, you look like you're 40, you sound like you're 40, and there's no way in hell you're going to get cast in those Broadway shows. You should find a non-classical music degree. And as crushing as that was to hear, I think that was the best advice I ever got because I looked into non-classical music options. I didn't even know what jazz was. Uh, I knew that Ella Fitzgerald and I had the same birthday, April 25th, but that's all I knew about Ella. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know anything. So I found um, a summer program at Berklee College of Music in Boston. It was a five-week program uh, geared towards pop music and jazz. And I used all the money I made as a waitress at Walker Brothers Pancake House and paid the $4,000 to do that five-week program into my senior year of high school. And that's when I learned that I enjoyed learning about music theory. I enjoyed singing in a band. I enjoyed uh, collaborating with other people, like instrumentalists and singers. And... um, my senior year of high school, I played Dolly and Hello Dolly, and it was absolute hell because the kids pretended to be my friends in the show, but you knew they were ready to just like hope that I, you know, wouldn't be able to perform so they could take my spot. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other roles were du- the other roles were double cast except for mine and a couple other roles, so uh, it was tough. It was a tough environment. I'm not gonna lie, um, but. Uh, I found that the University of Miami and uh, USC 
and um well I applied to Western Michigan, but I didn't show up at the audition. It's a long story because I ended up going to University of Michigan, Ann Arbor instead because I thought it was a better school. Um, in actuality, I didn't realize that University of Michigan did not have a vocal jazz program at all. So um, anyway, senior year, I auditioned at University of Miami and uh, my parents made me decide which audition I would attend in person. Because my voice teacher said, if you want to be serious about a music school, you have to do an in-person audition. And even though I grew up in a pretty privileged area, my parents weren't wealthy at all. So they said, if you're going to travel, you have to pick one place. And I picked Miami. And uh, they offered me a huge scholarship. And that's when I made the decision to pursue like music for, for jazz studies. How far did you go with your degree? The bachelor's degree, master's degree? Um, where did you stop? Well, I, I got my undergrad degree at the University of Miami. Uh, while there, I had a voice teacher who sent me out as a sub in a wedding band that she sang in. So I had to learn Boogie Oogie Oogie and I Will Survive and Dancing Queen when I was a you know, sophomore and junior in college. And, you know, I was making like $100 or $200. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, and... Uh, when I was a senior at University of Miami, I had no idea what I was going to do. So I applied to graduate school uh, and I ended up at Western Michigan in Kalamazoo uh, with an assistantship. So that was helpful. However, to go from a school where I'm singing salsa and 70s music and cheek to cheek and the way you look tonight to uh, hear Amy learn giant steps and uh, uh what uh, Billy's Bounce and, and, and Joy Spring and all these really intense songs. And it was a huge shift. Um, so I did end up with a master's degree from Western Michigan, but it was a much more strict education. Uh, Miami was more uh, relevant. I don't want to say relevant, but it was definitely more applicable for what a professional music person would need to do. Like if you want to have a, a, a career in music, you need to be versatile. You need to be well-rounded. You have to be willing to sing I Will Survive and Dancing Queen and Ave Maria or Disney songs or, you know, nobody really has ever paid me to sing Giant Steps at an event. I mean, I'm sorry. But, but it's cool to know that stuff as an educator. So if you want to teach, it's good to know that stuff. I have to chuckle. Did that answer your question? It, it sure answered the question. And then some. I have to chuckle at the idea. I'll oh, see. I'm playing a wedding. Let's see for the dinner music. Uh, let's do Giant Steps and Donna Lee. And we'll, you know, we'll do the vocal parts to that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, I, I think what they did for you at Miami was – Really, pretty amazing. Many, uh, I'll kind of uh, just kind of jump in here. Uh, a lot of our listeners, th this show has sort of evolved uh, from just let's support musicians who are not from New York and LA to a program about uh, career day seminars from professional musicians uh, from all walks of life. And a running theme is that by and large, uh, college music programs kind of have a tendency to focus on. Uh, the high art of it, but they don't necessarily get down into the nitty gritty about what you're actually going to have to do when you get out there. And it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like you had that. Oh, Nick, if you only knew some of the bands I had to sing and play with when I first graduated <laughs> in the real world. Wow. Uh, let's talk. I'm about grateful. That. I mean, I'm certainly grateful, but that's a different story. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I do get that. Um, oh we, all, we all have to do a lot of crazy stuff when we're getting started. Um, let's talk about your experience around Chicago. Um, well, first of all, I got to know, where did yes. you go to high school? I went to Stevenson High School in Lincolnshire. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I hate to do this, but I just got to know. When were you at Walker Brothers? I had my first job at Walker Brothers in 1999 in Lincolnshire. I, oh, the Walker Brothers in Lincolnshire. That's different. I, we don't yes. Get uh -huh. 
Yeah, we we get out to we get down to the one in Wilmette or the one up in Highland Park. You know, for our listeners, are probably going, "What the hell are they talking about?" Um, this the Walker Brothers. It's called Walker Brothers Pancake House. There's three of them in the area, and it's a uh, just a a killer breakfast restaurant. Uh, omelets and crepes and potato pan best potato pancakes around. Anyway, so yeah, I digress. Um, Yummy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we kind of got into a little bit about your your first you know experiences with bands around Chicago. What when did you, what bands did you sing with? If I might be so bold, when you really started to scratch the surface of working around Chicago. When I moved back in two thousand eight, I had a mutual friend from Western Michigan University, where I went to school, who was teaching private voice lessons at New Trier High School. And he got me an interview with his boss because they were looking for another teacher to, to teach kids how to sing jazz and pop music. So it was my Western Michigan connection that at least got me my first music job, so to speak. Um, I mean, yes, I went through an interview, but it certainly helped that it was a referral. Um, however, uh, teaching you know five kids was not uh, enough money to survive. So I actually had five jobs. I was teaching at Nutrier High School. I was working at Victoria's Secret in retail where I had worked, you know, for several years prior when I was in school. I was working at a restaurant as a hostess. So I was cleaning the bathrooms, filling soap dispensers, changing toilet paper rolls. I was also selling chicken sausage in a grocery store with a hairnet on my head. So I was the Costco sample girl. Um, And I would answer Craigslist ads and some bands that I started with. uh, One was a big band called shout section. It was led by teachers and I had emailed the leader saying, are you looking for any singers? And he said, sure. Why don't you come to a rehearsal? So I would drive about an hour each way to Brookfield to the high school where we, uh, he would stage rehearsals. And uh, I had my first paying gig with them a year later, but that's another story. Um, so in addition to that awesome band, which I'm still a part of, uh, there were some other bands that um, were different. Uh, one was called Soul Statement. It was a R&B soul band. Uh, I had my very first gig at a sports bar in Naperville. I got 50 bucks to sing Clean Up Woman, and um oh gosh what else did i sing all i remember is clean up woman oh and it's your thing do what you want to do um and my second gig was at the navy pier beer garden with this band called soul statement i never had another gig with them he was very nice the leader uh he loved turtles he had turtles all over his basement that's where we would rehearse and i just remember seeing turtles and i was like well this is interesting Uh, And finally, uh, uh, two other bands, one was called the BBJ Project, and it was, um, we uh, only played 12 songs on Broadway, Uh, that's uh, that's the time, feel like making love, we did that, and uh, Fever, Um, uh, what were we literally did 12 songs, and we had tons of gigs, and it was a guy who played uh, a drum machine, uh, a guitar player, and me so we were like a a trio and we were playing jazz in at the shed and i was standing there with clave like banging these clack 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 together on quarter notes and i'm like okay cool i guess this is how you make it as a professional musician and um i swallowed bugs at that gig i remember uh two bugs specifically on that gig and i was very upset um and the final uh straw which actually led me to start my own band. Um, I was asked to sing in a band called Peter the Versatiles. Um, and uh, we had a gig uh, 10 minutes from my house. And I told my family not to come. And not only did my family come, but they literally brought 25 people with them. And I'm not exaggerating. I, I'm lucky if I could get one person to a gig now, but they ha- I had 25 people come to this gig. I sang one song as a leader, like I led that clean up woman, apparently a clean, a clean up woman is like the song for these bands. And the rest, it was this other singer and his wife. And 
all I'm going to say is my family uh, pleaded with me to start my own band because it was really embarrassing. And um, it was just, it was terrible. And I, I, I yelled at them for coming to the gig. I was like, I told you not to come, They're like, but it's 10 minutes away. I said, I don't care. This is not a good experience. That's how it started. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you mentioning you're mentioning these bands, Amy, because I've been around Chicago for a very long time, and that's the only way I'm going to say it. And I have not heard of these guys, uh, so I think that speaks to how big a city it is. You know, interesting, yeah. interesting experiences. And boy, thanks for sharing everything because again, this really plays into what we're what we're talking about, and that is, you know, if you're going to survive out of music school, you have to be prepared to uh well <laughs> be versatile <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe not a versatile but versatile Stay in it, je vais se l'air sous-guerre, tu vas 
continue the uh, music preparation thing here. Now, you've kind of hit on this already, but uh, to sum up, what would you say would be the necessary survival uh, tools as you would want, you know, students going out your door for the last time, what would you say, listen, you got to know this, this, and this. What would be those uh, survival skills that you would suggest that they have to have under their belt in order to uh, make a living? A, be punctual. And punctual is not five minutes before hit time. My professor, may he rest in peace, Steve Zagree, always said, five minutes early is 10 minutes late, and 10 minutes early is five minutes late. <laughs> so be punctual. And by golly, respond to emails and texts and calls within 24 hours. It is not that difficult in this day and age. Be responsive. Yeah. C, don't don't be a jerk. <laughs> like, just, just be nice. You know, um, it, I find it amazing over the years how people could just, just be nice. So those are my three recommendations. Just be, be on time, be responsive, and just be a nice person. It's interesting you say that. That also is kind of a recurring theme. It's funny that, you know, we have talked about, and you did mention certain uh, you know, knowing certain tunes and things of that nature. And, uh, but nobody, whenever I pose that question, almost nobody says, well, you need to know, uh, you know, all your diminished scales and your pentatonics. And it's, that, that I, it's almost uh, a given that you're going to be learning that stuff, I guess. And everyone tends to echo what you just said. And I, I think that is a, a, a very telling thing uh, about uh, uh, what the music business is like. You teach. Tell us a little about your teaching experience. What's that? Uh, what's that all about? Oh, teaching. So I teach private voice lessons to mostly teenagers, and that is basically the ages of thirteen to eighteen. And my first year of teaching singing lessons, it was all pop and jazz. And then my second year teaching, in addition to teaching at New Trier High School, I actually started teaching at Naperville North High School. And that school required a more versatile approach. So I had to teach Italian art songs, German art songs, musical theater, Broadway, stuff that I kind of had um, pushed aside because I had focused heavily on jazz and pop music. However, um, it was fun singing, you know, Sound of Music and, and Mamma Mia and stuff like that. So um, my second year of teaching at both New Trier and uh, Naperville North High Schools, I, I noticed at New Trier that these classical teachers on staff were attempting to teach kids to sing jazz. And I thought to myself, wait a second, if they're going to teach kids jazz, I could certainly teach kids the rudiments of classical singing. I could teach classical technique. I could teach Italian. I could teach German. The only thing I don't teach is French. And I tell my kids all of that when they first start with me. I'm like, if you want to do French, you're going to have to be in a French class and kind of sing for me because I will not teach French. Um, and funny enough, so I was working these five jobs the first year I was back with the, you know, teaching and the hostessing and the retail and the chicken sausage sample and job and all this stuff. But during my second year teaching at New Cheer High School, my boss pulled me into his office in December and told me that one of their private voice teachers was fired. And I said, why? And he said, it is none of your concern. I said, okay, understandable. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, we need you to uh, take on his studio of students. So overnight between teaching at Naperville and New Trier, I went from, you know, I had about 15 students between two schools. <clears throat> um, but having to inherit this, um, uh, teacher studio, I now had 47 students. Um, so my second semester of my second year teaching, I literally taught from like 8.45 in the morning to 6 p.m. four days a week. And it was insane. So I, I was forced by my mother to quit all my other jobs, the Victoria's Secret, the chicken sausage job, the restaurant job, all this stuff. She basically had an intervention with me with, with, with like a poster board and wrote out like pros and cons. And it was, in, it was insane. But uh, 
that uh, semester was insane. Um, but I was blessed because it gave me an opportunity to gain perspective. One, I learned that I never wanted to teach 47 people ever again at one time, because that's insane. Uh, two, it helped me realize that these kids benefit from me wanting to be there to help them. So moving forward, I was really good at understanding who would be a good fit to study with me and who would not be a good fit and to not take it personally. You know, at that point I was happy to refer a student to another teacher if I felt maybe they needed more. I had a student who was really good at classical singing. There was only so far we were going to go together. So I had no problem sending her to one of my colleagues who took her to this crazy German dimension that, you know, got her to soar. And that, that was great. So for the teaching, it was really a matter of finding that balance between how many students to teach and how many gigs to take and how many, uh, you know, that balance of being a performer and being an educator. And um, also my third year of teaching, I was given a job at Niles West High School directing their vocal jazz ensemble. And as grateful as I am for that opportunity, I learned that I am not a fan of teaching vocal jazz ensembles. Like I did it, I could do it, I'm fully capable. But again, it's like, let the pros do it. Like, I don't ever want to be in a situation where I have to lead a vocal jazz group again, because that's not fair to the kids. Because I'm, I know people who are way more qualified. Um, so in terms of teaching, I now know, like, I just, I like to hone in on the kids that really like to learn all styles. So I teach them jazz, I teach them Disney, I teach them pop. I've even started teaching younger kids this year, 10 year olds, 12 year olds. And I actually enjoy that as well. Um, I didn't want to teach young kids for a long time because I was always taught you really should avoid teaching kids until they turn at least 12 or 13. But to be honest, my 10 and 12 year old students are, are a little more hardworking than my teenagers, believe it or not. So they're, they're, they're a ball of joy, but I only teach a couple of them. So they're fun. Interesting hearing about all of this. Uh, uh, as, you know, 47 students. Oh my gosh. Uh, I have uh, run into, <laughs> <laughs> I've run into many a musician who says, Oh yeah, I don't have a day gig. I don't have a day gig. And I'll say, Oh yeah, how many students do you have? And they go, Oh yeah, 40 or 50. I go, you have a day gig. <laughs> that's a day gig. That's, that's, that's a full-time job. Um, boy, my hat's off to you for, for doing that. Uh, Interesting about the teenagers versus the the, the little ones. You know, I feel like, you know, teenagers, are, <laughs> they, have a, they may have certain physical skill sets that allow them to do things with their voices that perhaps the little ones, they, their voices may have settled in. But, you know, they're distracted with all kinds of other stuff in their lives at that point. And so perhaps that may be why you're seeing that. Uh, again, amazing uh, uh, train of thought here. One of the things that I have been kind of uh, – dazzled by, if you will, is your band and your band business. Um, let me kind of offer a little background for the listeners. Um, you know, for many years, a, a, a staple of survival in the music business was what is often called jobbing on the West Coast. I think they call it casuals, uh, East Coast, I think, too. Uh, and jobbing means you're playing weddings, trade shows, mm -hmm. mitzvahs, uh, whatever, and um, uh, you know corporate events, and that kind of fell on hard times over the past you know fifteen twenty years because of everything from DJs to iPod mixes and what have you, and so a lot of guys uh, you know from you know the boomer generation, people my age, have kind of taken it upon themselves to retire uh, from uh, being jobbing band leaders. You, on the other hand, have flown right into the face of all of this. And you've produced a, a thriving business. I perceive you not just as a music teacher or singer, but as, a, as an entrepreneur. Uh, and I'd be really fascinated to hear some ideas about, A, you know, uh, why did you decide to go after that? Because you've really done it. Well, you now have two bands out. And um, how did you do it? I mean, how have you pulled this all off? That's a long answer. Do you want, do you want to hear the whole story? I mean, I, I could give you the cliff notes or the spark notes on that. 
Amy, go for it. I have no misgivings about hearing the whole story. Just don't give away any trade secrets. I'm not asking you to do that, but I am asking you to share ideas about how you were able to kind of beat the system. Well, I, I wouldn't say I've beat the system. I'd say it's a constant struggle. It's a constant roller coaster. And especially now that we've been hit with this COVID-19 nightmare, yeah. it's scary. It's very scary. Um, but I will say it's been a really interesting 10 years. Um, you know, I was singing in some of those bands. Uh, I ended up starting my own band in 2009 at a brewery with a uh, piano player, organist, and a drummer. So we were a trio for a bit. We played a lot of wine bars, stuff like that. And a friend of mine from high school reached out and said, I really want you to play my wedding. And I said, okay, cool, whatever. So in October of 2010, I assembled a jazz quartet. So it was me singing, a piano, bass player, and drummer. And we played cocktail hour inside the ballroom it was at concord the concord in kildeer she had a dj already and i was horrified because she wanted me to sing their first dances to karaoke tracks and i hate singing to karaoke tracks it literally makes me want to vomit but i was like i just like you know when you sing with a band and then they want you to sing karaoke it's like not the same thing at all but i you know she was a friend so Anyway, um, I performed at her wedding during the cocktail hour for the hour, and uh, the DJ was very kind. This guy was very nice, uh, and he had gotten me the karaoke track to practice uh, the, these silly songs. Honestly, Nick, I don't remember the titles, but I sang the songs uh, at this wedding, and uh, he and I became friends. And we would talk about weddings and stuff like that. And over, while I was friends with him, my band was getting a little bit bigger. So instead of being a little trio, uh, so in 2011, uh, we had uh, formed a quartet. It all, the timing was crazy. So my friend who was the DJ, uh, I would actually observe him doing weddings, big weddings, little weddings, Indian weddings, Greek weddings, Jewish weddings. And I would just observe people requesting songs, what they would dance to. And to me, it was really fun. I was like, wow, they really like Love Shack. Or, wow, who knew that? And I would walk 500. I mean, I was just like enthralled by it. But I never realized like, that could be me someday. I still, you know, it was, I had reached out to several big band leaders, like big quote unquote jobbing leaders in town. And none of them gave me a shot. I didn't even get responses from some of these guys. And it was a real um, disappointment to me, you know, in 2008, 2009, when I first moved to town, these guys wouldn't even give me the time of day. Um, so I, I've never forgotten about that. You know, I, I forgive, but you don't forget these things. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, you know, these doors don't open for you because something else is supposed to open for you and, um, nothing but respect for them, but it, it did, it did hurt my ego a ton. Well, I didn't really have much of an ego. So whatever I had, it was squashed when I first moved back. Um, anyway, so in early 2011, I had also been chosen to headline a Jewish music festival in Michigan. Because of that, I had to record an album. So I recorded a jazz album in 2011, in January. And the festival itself was in April. But in order to do the festival, they required me to have an album. So while... Every so often I would be hired, my band would be hired as a trio to do little dinner parties or um, small weddings um, that wanted like a four piece band. Um, I also recorded a jazz album and had to focus on this performance. So this performance happened. The night after that performance, I got an email from an agent who I had emailed about doing cruise ship work saying that a Mediterranean cruise needed a jazz quartet to, to sail in the Mediterranean from July until November 2011. And interestingly enough, my band had a few gigs over the summer, and I ended up giving them to a sax player in town, who shall remain nameless, 
who kind of led things for me while I went to Europe for four months. And in Europe, I brought Stuart, who is now my piano player, and a guy named Andrew and another guy named Tim. And we were a quartet for four months. quote band do a couple events without me there with the saxophone player leading things when i came back in november the saxophone player drove me to i just flown in from london on the 4th of november the saxophone player drove me to champaign illinois to sing the following night on the 5th and i was jet lagged i was out of it and I'm singing Boogie Oogie Oogie and I Will Survive with this little five-piece band. It was me singing, him on saxophone, and we had piano, bass, and drums. As that was happening, I was building up more momentum. So in 2012, I had a five-piece band booked, and I started to add a sixth and seventh member. I decided a male vocalist and a guitar player was the way to go. So I would have the seven-piece group, I had uh, two weddings in 2012. One was in June and one was in December. And we were rehearsing and doing everything uh, that you do as a band. Um, But the saxophone player that I had given the reins to, to kind of run things, he had a very volatile temper and he would blow up at me a lot. I made my very difficult decision of firing him he had gotten me an audition at a really prominent venue in downtown Chicago. I show up at the audition with him because I was going to sing and play piano and he was going to play sax. We show up at this audition at 8.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. We're in front of the management team of this venue and not, not even 30 seconds go by. They say, thank you for your time. And I got up and I thanked them. And this particular sax player started uh, badgering the, the management team and said, well, wait, why? why? Why don't you want to hear more? And the management said, quite frankly, you're overwhelming, but we really do love Amy. And I walked out of that audition and several of my colleagues were in the hallway and heard it. So I was really embarrassed. It was 8.45 in the morning. So I was up way too early and I go outside and I'm trying to breathe. <laughs> And this sax player made some snarky comment to me, like, oh, you better call your boyfriend Stu to play piano for you. And I turned to him and I said, you better walk away or this is not going to go well. (laughs) Just walk away from me right now. And so he, he stormed off. One of my closest friends, I was on the phone with them, crying, of course. They said, you better go ask for another chance. I said, I can't. They said, go ask for another chance. I said, I can't. I said, damn it, Amy, just go ask for another chance. I said, okay, fine. So I waited for the rest of my colleagues to audition, and I waited for the management team to walk out. And I walked up to them, and I said, thank you again for your opportunity. Is there any way you'd give me another shot? And they looked at each other, and they go, be here tomorrow, 8 a.m., sharp. So I brought another sax player, 
wonderful guy, wonderful player. And he went with me the next morning and we nailed that audition. And I ended up getting a steady gig at this venue for several, several years. And it was all because that was that moment in two, it was actually, we're now in 2013. It was in that moment where I said, I can't work with people who are not going to be part of the team, who are going to make me feel scared, insecure, or just a loose cannon, quite frankly. So it was in 2013 that through these gig masters websites, and finally I was on this website called The Knot, K-N-O-T, we were booking some weddings, getting great reviews. In early 2014, one of my my male singer, and not one of them, I only had one singer at the time, he had been plucked out of my band. And when I say plucked, I mean one of those band leaders that wouldn't give me a shot somehow stalked this guy and offered him a bunch of dates. And he said to me, I can't sing in your band anymore because I'm singing, you know, 50 dates with this other band. And I was like, I can't believe you would do that to me. And he's like, it's not personal, it's business. That was in January, 2014. And I was crushed. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. So I posted an ad on Craigslist looking for another singer. One guy responded he sent me a video of him uh, in a car singing Stand By Me. Very clever. Um, <laughs> and I looked him up on Facebook, and we had one mutual friend, a guy named Lawrence, a guy I went to college, uh, University of Miami with. There's a connection there. And I said, hey, Lawrence, do you know this guy? He's, you know, he seems like he's a good singer. I mean, he sent me a video of him singing Stand By Me in a parked car in a dark parking lot, but he seems good. I don't know. He said, well, actually, he's good, but if you, if you need a good singer, you should call this guy named Isaiah. And I said, Isaiah, okay. So he connected me to this guy, Isaiah, and Isaiah came and auditioned for the band. He was amazing. And I was like, oh, well, we've got seven weddings. Do you want to do them this year? And he's like, yeah. So Isaiah like changed the face of the band because he had energy. He'd go out in the crowd and dance with them. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> and meanwhile, while this was happening, I had had that DJ friend introduce me to a couple other DJs. And I was actually including DJs in my band packages from 2013 to 2014, because anything the band couldn't play, I just had the DJ play it. And it was great because these clients were getting, you know, a, quite, quite frankly, a cheap band, because I didn't have a sound person, I was providing the PA. So they're getting a cheap band and a DJ. So they were really getting everything they wanted and staying in a budget. So there was this niche that we found of clients who wanted a live band and a DJ and staying within a budget. 2014, you know, Isaiah joins the band. Things were really picking up momentum. And towards the end of 2014, you know, we had a really big Jewish wedding. And my DJ and the band, they all had an intervention with me. And they said, hey, we need to ask you something. I said, what? They're like, can you hire a professional sound guy? And I was like, I don't even know what that means. What are you talking about? And the drummer had a cousin who was a professional sound guy. So suddenly I'm paying a guy to bring microphones and set up microphone stands and deal with speakers and cables and all this stuff. And I thought, wow, this is great. It was in 2015 that things started to pick up even more and more and more. That's you know, eventually we added strings because I had a bride who wanted a harpist and I saw a harpist at the Drake hotel when I was performing there once and I met her. And so it was all just timing. Like I met other musicians, other DJs and everything kind of came together. And it was 2017 when we started getting double inquiries. I would turn away other dates cause we didn't have a band. Um, but we built a second band in late 2017, uh, led by Brooke. And for a couple years, they were known as Yaz Jazz Number Two. <laughs> and uh, we changed their name to Heatwave Orchestra. Isaiah ended up moving to LA uh, last year, which was kind of scary at first. But Deontay Baker was like, I would love to sing in your band, and I can cover all those dates that Isaiah is no longer available for. And, you know, working with Deontay has been great. Um, This guy, Joe, has been really fun to work with over the years. And then we got to meet Howard, the singer who was plucked away from my band all those years ago. 
came back. So now he's back in my band and he's a dream. So it, it all has just kind of randomly come together. It, there have been some growing pains, like having to let some people go uh, because of their attitude or just, you know, you email them, say we're all black and they show up in white and it's just an awkward conversation. Like you, we wouldn't have to be in this situation if you just read your email. So that's how things have gone. Uh, we had 62 events last year for Yes Jazz Music and Productions between the DJs, the string musicians, the jazz bands, the party bands. Um, and we had several booked for 2020. And I'm currently in the process of having people postponed to 2021. Um, I've had a couple people downgrade, which is heartbreaking, but um, I'm trying to avoid the full out cancellations because that's ultimately not going to be good for us at all. So. That's uh, where we're at. Because you know I'm all about the bass, about the bass, no trouble. I'm all about the bass, about the bass, no trouble. I'm all about the bass, about the bass, no treble. I'm all about the bass, about the bass. Yeah, it's pretty clear. I ain't no size two, but I can shake it, shake it like I'm supposed to do. Cause I got that boom, boom that all the boys taste. With all the right junk and all the right places. I seen the magazines working that Photoshop. You know that that ain't real. Come on, I'll make it stop. If you got beauty, beauty, just raise it up. Cause every touch of you is perfect from the bottom to the top. My mama done told me to worry about your size. She said, boys, like a little, my booty, a whole You know, I won't be no stick figure, silicone Barbie doll. So if that's what you're into, then go ahead Because you know I'm all about the bass, about the bass, no trouble. I'm all about the bass, about the bass, no trouble. I'm all about the bass, about the bass, no trouble. I'm all about the bass, about the bass. I'm bringing money back. Go ahead and tell the skinny ladies that. No, I'm just playing. I know you think you're fat. But I'm here to tell you Amy, amazing stuff. Wow. I mean, uh, uh, boy, people listening to this, if, they, if you're taking notes, there's, there's a treasure trove of things there that uh, you can pick up on. I kind of want to keep this, this train of thought going. I, I, I've not worked for you. I've subbed maybe a couple times through Child Section or some other incarnation uh, with you, but uh, I didn't really do work for you uh, until you asked me to do a showcase well, about a month or so ago. Maybe <laughs> I, you know, when he mentioned that, I said, sure, I'll, I'd love to do it. And the my head was telling me, because I've played showcases with other bands, and you, you show up, there's like six or seven bands, DJs, you know, dozens and dozens of uh, uh, party consultants. And when I showed up for years, I didn't, it didn't hit me until I got there. This was just you and your second band, and your, it was your operation from start to finish. 
I, as I looked at it, I thought, this is genius. You're not bringing in competition. You're bringing in your own business and having people come out to uh, Amy uh, Yazjan uh, showcase. Uh, what did you hear on the idea to do that? Because I just thought it was brilliant. You know, Nick, um, I'm sure you've heard the, the phrase, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. A few years ago, I found myself in this predicament. There would be many times where we would get uh, we would lose out on weddings to a fake band that shall remain nameless. It's not actually a band. It's a music company based in Australia that plucks random musicians and puts them together, slaps them together and calls them a band. Anyway, um, I would constantly lose out to this operation because they were having monthly showcases. So I would have a bride and groom inquire and say, well, when can we see you live? And I'd say, well, I really don't, um, I don't appreciate people crashing weddings to watch us. Uh, A, because it's disrespectful to our paying clients. B, if that client happens to love Motown and we're doing a ton of Motown and you hate Motown and you walk in seeing us doing Motown, that's bad. It was really frustrating. I ended up a few years ago saying, well, if they're going to do these monthly showcases, I'm going to do one showcase. And I had contacted a venue in Highwood that was being booked by this individual in town who promised me that we could have this showcase event for, uh, I had 42 people wanting to attend, most of whom had already booked the bands with us. It was more like I wanted them to come see the bands play live without crashing a wedding. So this guy that was trying to help me book my band uh, ended up somehow he lost the venue and he found a Chinese restaurant in Highland Park that had a, had a banquet space. And he's like, they're willing to host your showcase. I'm like, great. It's a Friday night in March. Um, 42 people are coming. Great. Well, the Monday before that Friday, the, the owner of the Chinese restaurant called me and said, we can't have your showcase at our restaurant. And I said, why? He's like, we don't have enough staff to serve 42 people. I'm like, wait, I have people who are going to pay out for alcohol and food to sit there on a Friday night and you can't accommodate 42 people that are going to pay. And they're like, no. And, and so I, the guy that was trying to help me at that other venue, I realized he was actually just a complete snake. Uh, that Chinese restaurant, they were being weird and snaky. And I was so upset I called a friend of mine who I had met. She ran a banquet venue called European Crystal. And then I ran into her at some networking event and she gave me her card. And she had moved to a place called the Hyatt Place in Rosemont and said, I'm, I'm the new banquet manager here. Uh, let's get together. Two weeks prior, I had had lunch with her at the Hyatt Place and she showed me the space and you know she was trying to you know, show off the venue. So I reached out to Diana and I said, I don't know if you can help me, but I need a space for 42 people to come see my band. So she actually gave me the room at the Hyatt place to have my couples come. And at that showcase, I had five prospective couples and they all booked the band. And then I had seven couples that had already booked with us that upgraded. Like they saw the trumpet and trombone and said, oh, it'd be cool to add the two extra horns. Or they saw uh, another singer and said, can we add another singer? So that showcase, I spent like $1,200 on, you know, getting snacks for people. Um, but I obviously made it up by all those bookings. So then the following year, the, a, a manager from that Hyatt Place Hotel had left and uh, started being the manager at a hotel in Burr Ridge. And they said, you could do a showcase at our venue and we won't charge you anything. And I said, Oh, okay. Well, Nick, nothing in life is free. So um, we did this quote free showcase at their ballroom. Um, they had uh, vendor tables. They had this big hot pink and neon green tablecloth behind the band where we were supposed to play. And we were in red and black. So if you're into like aesthetics, it looked terrible. It was a complete disaster. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, we still had people come and we got some bookings, but it was not, it was just nuts. So the following year, so in 2019, I found another venue in Rosemont called The Estate. 
and I had the strings playing in the lobby, uh, the harp, cello, violin trio as like a greeting uh, as guests arrived. I had a bunch of people come to the showcase. It was a, it was a success uh, in terms of like people booked and uh, you know, this time we had 90, 92 people come in 2019. Uh, it also cost me a lot more money, like a disgusting amount of money. Again, this isn't like, I'm not making a profit on this at all. I'm still in the hole, if I can be Mm -hmm. frank. I had to compete with this stupid company that was hosting monthly showcases, at least if I could do one a year, um, and supplementing it by having uh, the bands do a couple, quote, bar gigs. Uh, I have them do about two to three a year that are booked through an agent. So everybody makes like 40 or 50 bucks a person, and we call it a paid rehearsal. Um, But couples can come out and see them at a bar. Um, it's not ideal, but at least it gets us to play songs together as a unit and, you know, get some chemistry together and get a little bit of money and in the process, maybe book a few gigs. So that's been cool. But this year I actually went back to that Hyatt place in Rosemont because it was so awesome four years ago and we had a really lovely showcase. Um, I didn't spend $1,200. I spent a little bit, actually much more but a lot less than I spent in 2019. But we did get several bookings and several upgrades from it. And this time I focused on having the strings play an intermission. So if people came late, they could actually experience a string trio, which I think is super unique. You know, you don't get to go to a church and crash a wedding to watch a harpist play. I mean, that's kind of silly. So it was definitely cool to have that. Um, and I'm really grateful that we did it right before this whole disaster COVID-19 thing became a thing in the United States because, yeah, those, a couple of those down payments have uh, kept Yaz Jazz afloat for now. But uh, I do want to uh, comment on something else and just get your thoughts on this. In addition to being thrilled to do the showcase with you, have always been just blown away by your bands. Quick sidebar, uh, when Stu did a Love Shack, I almost dropped my horn. I, yeah. <laughs> He's the best. I love him. I, uh, <laughs> He's just the I, best. I, I looked at him, and I, what, what's going on, Stu? Well, yeah, he was great, but I, <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. I have been uh, asking a lot of my guests about diversity in bands. And I just got to say that in working with, with your showcase and seeing your bands, I have been really impressed with the total diversity, you know, uh, age diversity, uh, race diversity, gender diversity. Was this by design or is it just kind of who you are and just kind of how it happened? It's all just how it happened. I mean, I don't even think about it as being diverse. I just love these people. Like, I love everybody. They're just, everybody brings something special to it, you know, and I've been, I've what I really feel is that I'm surrounded with people who are way better than me and way more talented than me and being around people who are, um, in my opinion, way more talented than me have, have helped ground me and helped me learn as a leader. You know, I'll have one of the instrumentalists say, Hey, Amy, you know, this isn't really working. Do you think we could try this? Sure. Let's do it. Um, I'll hear one of the singers do a crazy harmony in a song. I'm like, Whoa, that's cool. You know, I feel like the people who I've surrounded myself with are people who are responsible, creative, and open-minded, which I think is important. Amy, we're coming up on the end of the conversation, and I can't let you go without getting this question out of the way. If people want to find out more about your work, where do they go? I mean, uh, social media, websites, give us, you know, give us everything. Well, www.yazjazz.com, Y-A-Z-Z-J-A-Z-Z. They can find us on Instagram. We're pretty active there. Facebook. Yeah, we're, we're pretty much all over the place. One last question I got to know. Uh, by by mere, you know, I can't say the name of the tune, uh, the, the old Benny Goodman thing by, uh, that Josh Stern wrote the arrangement of. By mere beast of shame. Thank you. You spoke of languages. What languages are, what languages are you singing on that? Funny you should ask me about that, Nick, because that Jewish music festival that I was headlining in 2011, they had me record an album. And one of the tracks on that album was By Mir Beast Duchesne. And it's in Yiddish. 
which I learned from a Jewish a cappella group that I was singing with in the years prior. So that song was very precious to me. Like I said, it was released on my album in 2011, uh, which is on a Warrior Records label. And it was a couple of years after that that Brett said, oh, it'd be cool to have Josh Jern arrange that song that you recorded. So it was actually a second version of a song I had already recorded. Amy, I got to thank you so much for doing this. This is just an amazing conversation, just wonderful. And I really appreciate your your well, Thanks for your patience with me. Oh, no, just no patience required at all. And you know what? You know, we're going to get through this this um, uh, crazy times right now. We'll get through it. And everybody's going to be, you know, we're going to be okay. But we just have to, man, everybody has to hunker down and find a way to keep on keeping on. So, Amy, thanks so much for doing this today. Thank you, Nick. Take care. Stay healthy. You, you too. I want to thank Amy once again for doing this show. I found it both fascinating and encouraging to see a new band business take off like this at this time. It really shows that the possibilities are still there. Thanks again for listening, folks. If you liked this show and you're a newcomer, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button and please share it around so that others will listen and subscribe. Till next week, this is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drawsuff, saying, be safe, be kind, be well, and then don't stop the music. Peace.